for episode seven of the podcast, I've got my two brothers with me, Michael and John. Initially, I did want to kick off the podcast uh, in this way, but then I got a bit eager and decided to, to start at uh, six weeks early. So finally getting around to it in uh, Porto Mayo here. We're all here together for the race weekend. And it's been a while since uh, we were all together in the same room. Not often we do see each other this year, apart from the racetrack. So thanks for sitting down with us. Um, I think I'm going to end up talking a bit about my career here as well, but I've got to try and <laughs> be the end of your and ask you guys uh, about your early career as well. But I know most of it, I didn't have to check Wikipedia this time like I did uh, with the rest of the guys. So um, we'll start off with Michael, the first one to ride a bike then, or John? Either or. Oh, wh- wh- who was the first to ride yeah, a bike? Yeah, it had to be you. Uh, yeah, was, wasn't it? Mm, I probably. started the QR50, but we are both about the same time, really, together. That's the first bike I QR50, then, well, Suzuki came about, then I, well, Yellow Bay. Yeah. So it was QR50s first. Right, it was QR50s, but as in time-wise, I think, even though there's only a year between us, we more or less started riding together at home at the same time. I can't really remember there being a difference. I'm just recalling photographs. Emma was the first to ride a bike. Uh, really? Her eldest sister? Oh, there you go. Photographs, she was the first on the bike, then Michael, and then me and Michael at the same time. But Emma was riding first, remember? Yeah, I do remember, and then number five. I remember the transition from that to gears. Then that was the that was the step. Whenever we got the bigger, was it an eighty? It was a sixty or fifty with gears and little Suzuki. No, that's yellow thing. Um, fifty. Was that a fifty? Yeah, there was always bikes around the house, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, I went on to a QR fifty. Then years after that, so I was three years old when I first rode a bike. Probably I started at an earlier age than you. But simply because you were older than me and you put me onto a motorbike then. So I don't actually remember it. Do either of you recall whenever you first put me on a motorbike? Three, maybe. I remember just putting you boys on it, you and, and your twin brother, Eamon. And you had a natural aptitude for it, whereas Eamon didn't. He went straight off the end of the garden, off the drop and into the wall. Off on the little 50 Honda, head first into the wall, and that was it. That was the end of Eamon's racing career that day. That was, it never, uh, he, it he, was, lo- he lost the passion from it. Finished before that, Eugene and him both got QR50s together. Ah, that's and right. Took out of the van, still remember the picture. Took him out of the van, and Emma pushed him down the hill before the engine even started, and he crashed. And then that drop off inside our house. Yes, yeah. so what, what could have been, eh? Huh? Huh? What, what could have been? been? We just don't know. Before. That day was later on, Eugene was racing competitively, and that was his uh, Yamaha PW50. And Eamon crashed it off the ah, side of this. That was our so that was quite, yeah. a, quite a bit later. So you're talking 92 incidents, wasn't nah. it? So that, was, that didn't scare him. That scared him later. <laughs> 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 and he came down with the split chin because he went through the hedge I think he just couldn't shut the throttle off his hand went back I set him off on it and he said the throttle stuck but it must have been his hand couldn't release straight through the hedge into a wall which was only three feet Yeah. Uh, but it was in a drop it was three feet away from the gap and he split his chin and bent the front forks near your bike and daddy was more concerned about the front fork than he was chin needing stitches yeah, that's the that's the old Irish breed. The fathers, it's uh, there's you you have to be an adult right away. There's no time to be a kid. It's like, what are you crashing this bike for? But I do remember that because that was when uh, when I started racing. So I started. Uh, we all started together in 1992. Yeah. So that was uh, when I was five years old. I remember that my birth certificate had to be forged to allow me to start early because at that time you had to be six years old to ride motocross. So 
I was able to start at five through a little clever doctrine of oh, yeah. uh, instead of um, the 3rd of June, which is the 3rd of the 6th, how we write the calendar months, I think we just doctored it to the 6th of the 3rd, the uh, yeah. American way, so that w- would mean the season started in March. I was good to go. Yeah. I was six years old and I was uh, ready to go racing. But I don't actually even remember beginning racing in 92, um, so I was younger than you. You, you did uh, go to do a race a few years early, earlier, didn't you, when you were a bit younger? I remember... I think it was still in the QR Honda and I, I remember going to it was like a grass track based race but they didn't have a class for the automatics and I went out and practiced along with the 60s and the 80s and they were coming past me so fast they scared me and I remember coming in and cried said I don't want to do that anymore and went home and that was it That was I was probably young then 4, 5, 6 somewhere I can't even remember but then it was a long gap then from that until we actually decided to go racing and again that wasn't through choice wanting to go racing that was because some local friends wanted to go or were planning to go from my memory of it mm, Connor yeah. McCoy was they were going to go and then we said well we'll go along too so there was no real desire from us to, to actually race we were still happy enough riding about at home together well we I were lucky we had so many we acres we could ride uh, across fields that's and it Paul McCormick our next door neighbor yeah the big one. so we were lucky because we had the or each other to race against mm-hmm. as well so it wasn't like we were riding by ourselves so we were always riding around the fields and, and setting up tracks of our own so it was different we didn't have that desire to go racing but then whenever we all went together that was 92 and we were all in odd mm-hmm. classes because I was in too high a class for my age at the time I went sure. straight into the 80s and then realised I should have been in the 60s and done one race and I, I was riding the 60s then yeah and then I came back down to the back. 60s yeah I was in a little uh, auto 50 so I remember Starting out, you don't remember much of those uh, early years, even for me in the 50s, CC, you were writing little PW50s back yeah. then. Um, but I do remember then uh, the weekends that we had, and it wasn't just us. Like we said, we got six uh, siblings. So my twin brother, Raymond, and also Emma and Catherine, all barreled into a little Mitsubishi, was it, L- L300. L300 van with those bikes in the back and six kids, not a seatbelt in sight, just <laughs> barreling around uh, the tracks in Northern Ireland on the Saturday. And then there was usually the Donegal Championship yeah. on the Sunday. And it's crazy to think uh, of what we were doing every weekend. And we do remember going to those races on uh, Sunday morning and stopping off in mass on the way, wearing our motocross gear. And everything and standing in the back of mass because that was the that was the thing to do you know you did your you went to mass on sunday morning we just happened to go to mass that was on route to donegal that's right inner kit and then i was usually stopping in dungiven on the way Mm -hmm. to the donegal championship races go to mass say our prayers or pretend you're saying your prayers at least (laughs) (laughs) turn up (laughs) in the kit and and move on straight to the racetrack that day they were good fun the races with a handicap event at the end of the day that was all set up to try and well help the the guy who was the yeah, slower guy win yeah. get a trophy it was good fun yeah that was uh, busy weekends for our parents because uh, dad had his own engineering firm at home and then we were going racing saturday and then prepping the bikes again to go racing sunday and then um repeating week well, on week off I was prepping bikes. I'm not sure if John was prepping too many bikes. <laughs> whenever you think back, John John bluffed his way. He he managed to, to dodge most of the work whenever it come to power washing motorbikes, no. cleaning filters, and draining carbs. I could power wash them, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was too capable either. I remember you winding me up as well, going to. The one thing I could do was clean my air filter because that was pretty easy. You cleaned it and then you put some foam filter oil on. And back then we even used to grease the top of the filter and you just used to send me back, no, that's not enough grease. More grease, more <laughs> grease until I had a handful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this enough? 
So I was always the victim. You were eager though. You were you were keen. (laughs) I tried. Yeah, I always tried after school, you went out and you'd put it off until midweek. Ah, oh, gotta clean this air filter now. It was probably a fifteen minute job, but you yeah. put it off all week. That was a, it was good that, that I didn't make us uh, do that little bit of work yeah. on the bikes what we were were capable of. There were some things you weren't gonna be able to do. Um I do remember you always mixing our fuel, didn't you? You were Michael was right. the fuel mixer then ready for the weekend. I handled the oil and the, the two stroke, yeah. yeah. It was a... Uh, Always an upside down screwdriver, just battering yeah. off the inside of the can, stirring it back and forward into the pedal. Those are the days. I saw a true stroke yesterday in a shop when I was in looking at some of the new motocross bikes, and they've actually got a little oil container that you could just fill up and you fill up the petrol and the fuel injection just mixes it. That's yeah. that's bad. Yeah, yeah some people would never know the, the joys or the terrors of having to have uh, the pre-mix. Fuel. Yeah, pre-mix the fuel. And that's all four strokes, but it's gone back to two strokes. That smell, I do remember from yeah. our, our youth as well. And two strokes, that's lost now, isn't it? Remember the smell yes. uh, in the paddocks? I'm lucky, I've got Ronan, my little boy's got a PW50, so whenever I need a wee bit of two stroke, I just go out in the garage, start her up, yeah. <laughs> get, get the smell back going. But he has got a pre-mix in that, so I can still bluff my way down if I mix feel. Just <laughs> pull it up a pedal, it does the mixing for you. But uh, old Johnny Ray was telling me that young Johnny, took the pre-mix tank off because it's not quite accurate and mix it manual uh, but, uh, really? but forgot to mix it in the big seas oh, <laughs> so, no way. Uh, I, I can I can uh, definitely say I would do that if I took the mix tank off so it's safely bolted on <laughs> uh, there were good times racing then so we we were racing the first stretch that I did was to 1992 until 1996 doing 50cc up onto uh, 60cc and I was good in 50s but then in 60s I used to, I started crashing my brains out and then that was when we figured out that my eyesight was bad that I realized that I needed glasses which I often always wear contact lenses or glasses now because my eyesight was that bad I was having massive spills because there was rocks or ruts and I wasn't seeing them yeah I was just getting up jumps and taking off cross rudder and wondering why I was uh waking up a little bit later in some wind bushes you were fast and brave but didn't know when you were going to crash next that was it was scary actually watching you and then once we realised it was it was an eyesight issue, then you know, all of a sudden you steadied up. Yeah, I remember the first time going out back then with my I had a big pair of goggles that fitted uh, some glasses inside. I do remember the first laps and going, wow, the definition. It was like the first time you <laughs> watched the, the TV, HD. <laughs> HD 1080 TV, because now then I realised this is what everybody else is seeing because... You, well, I didn't know any different. This is what my eyes were showing me when I was riding 50s yeah. and, and 60s. And I was getting away with it in 50s, the little tracks we were doing. And then suddenly 60s, it was pretty clear once I put those glasses on. Ah, okay. Yeah. This is some serious definition. Now you can see ruts. Because in your first year racing, you battled for the Irish Championship with Neil McKeown on automatic tracks because they didn't have ruts. They had So it was pretty smooth, like road racing in a sense back then. But then as soon as you made the step up to the bigger bikes and you had a ride on the adult, layout and all the bumps from the bigger classes were there the bumps and the ruts that's what caught you out so you managed good in the 50s straight away and then we couldn't understand the shift in the 60s whenever well actually we figured out the eyesight problem in the 50s it happened in the automatics but yeah it was a was a big transition. No, it was it wasn't until the in the sixties because it? yeah, because yeah. I, I managed I it. it was fifties. Oh, you had a special pair of goggles. They were made four glasses. Yeah, they were a pair of Scott goggles really, uh, and they were big. bigger depth. And Daddy made a little small cable ties and fixed the glasses inside and then you'd roll off on the outside. Yeah, I'd, I'd bluffed my way for so long and I even did 
not even thinking about um, what it was doing to my motocross. I remember in school because, you know, as you're a kid, there's a bit of uh, peer pressure and vanity there and didn't want to have to start wearing glasses. I knew that I couldn't see. Yeah. I knew it was getting a, a little bit worse in classrooms. But annually, they would always put you in the same room for the eyesight test and they'd always uh, be the same woman would come in because we were in a little countryside school mm. of like, what, 80 people in the school or something. And I was telling my mum this recently that how crafty kids can be. So I remember that I would come into the room and the board would always be placed in the same uh, position. So I was always a, a shy kid. So I would come in kind of looking at the ground. And then as I was uh, in the room, I would sneak up uh, as I'm stood directly beside it and memorize the whole thing. So I would sit there uh, way far away, couldn't see anything. And I would just reset it. And yep, everything's grand. And that went on for, I think, until primary five or six. And then the same test, same woman come in and uh, come in and went to do the same trick. The board had been moved and suddenly panic. Oh, I can't see, you know. Okay. <laughs> and then I had to go and stand uh, behind the line. And I think I was only able to see the big first the letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see the board and that was about it. And then the woman, she was panicked then because suddenly I went from one year being 2020 to not being able to see anything because I had memorized it. But then I think uh, they soon figured out maybe that I had, uh, I had a little trick. So... It just goes to, to show how kids can be crafty and I would not be able to do that now to memorise a board. You could because you Michael's got a hell of a, a memory. You can uh, jam everything in there and recite it. Yeah, not as good as it used to be. I noticed that decline now as I'm heading towards 40. It's definitely slowing down a little bit, but I've still got a pretty good memory that way for, for numbers and figures and information. Yeah, okay. that's, uh, they say, with stresses, which, yeah, what happened in life, your short-term memory is the first one to go. Is it? So there you go, you need to stop stressing as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I said we did 92 to 96, right, in the 50s, 60s. Um, 97, I had a year out, which at that stage I wasn't bothered about because the stuffing had been knocked out of me, to be honest, from all those crashes, and I'd lost the, the passion for it. So I, I was in the sidelines. We couldn't really afford to be running on uh, three riders. Uh, and then you went to adult racing, Michael? That was that year, 97, 97. so I went and started riding what then was called a dual licence, so you could ride uh, 125s in the schoolboy championship and ride your 125 against the adults in the adult series, so I was doing both, but we ended up doing more adult races that year yeah. and less, so you probably done less racing in 97 that year. I done nothing, really. Really? Nothing at all, I don't recall. No, I did I? Do. Well, I remember... Minimal, if any. 95, I was in the hundreds, I... I won the Irish and Ulster Championship. Yeah, we should actually tap on that. We've skipped over that then because you were on it that year. Remember uh, some of the guys that you were battling against whenever they came over from England and even Grant Langston right, we were, coming across. Yeah. Like, that's just, I guess you people were, don't realise how I, strong you were. You were strong, really strong then. You went to, remember, over to East Cumbria. Remember that? For the, that's right, with the British youth. Yeah, yeah. so you had to qualify for, no, was it qualified for the main yeah. thing, didn't it? So we went there and you qualified and then went to the to the finals. finals but you were fast but you you were a great motocross rider John and I never reached the level that you were at in that year in the hundreds some of the guys I, that, we were fighting with that was a good, that was my best season but then I stepped on the 125 and wasn't just as no. good sight. I was a bit too small for it at that time but then uh, only done two years so I'd done one more year 125 schoolboys and then that one year in the adults so I'd done quite a few adult races actually as well <laughs> a lot against the 250s in, in, the, in the grade B uh adult class and then I would race the one two five championship against all the pros at the time. So against my team boss Philip Neal then. He was isn't it and Adam Lyons and race. Philip McCullough. You won one race at Bally Kelly and the adult and the adult against the two fifties and but that on never, the one two five. But you always couldn't make the start so you were struggling to make top ten and then if you got away I was, I was you fast. Were fast enough but it was just getting through the two fifty CCs and stuff but you you were able but We had so much footage from them I did all the video camera remember right. and I was so short that 
the the camera would focus because I was only the height of the the rope the that outlined the the track. <laughs> so I I would try and scan across as you would come, but it would go in and out of focus because it would catch the rope. That's how short I was yeah. trying to video. And I do remember videoing some of them races whenever you won uh, your first adult race. Um, I just used to video every single race and didn't enjoy it, but just did it because my older brothers uh, told me to go on video. So okay, I got to do it. We had a free cameraman. So we got some great footage from from those years. It would be great yeah. to, to try and put it onto the DVD or hard it's copy in some funny way. Funny how you forget a lot of what you know. You kind of have a basic memory of the outline of it, but you do forget all what went on then. And it was it was busy series for us because we were doing a little bit of schoolboy motocross still with with you. John, and you didn't race much at all that year in 97? No, I had a year off in 97. So uh, I, I didn't have a bike. Very, very little, but I was more or less, I was your crew chief then. So yeah. I was looking after you, you know, I took the interest then in you racing. And I was like gutted for you because you weren't showing the potential, because you were fast, but you weren't working the results. And that's only yeah. sticks in my mind, the one race you won. But had you have whole-shotted any uh, other ones, you probably would have won them. That day I got, I got a good start on the one two five from the very outside gate. And then yeah. it was it towards the front end and managed to win it. And the, the very last race of that, because back then we used to have the Easter Monday, Bally Kelly two-day. It was one two fives mm-hmm. racing on the Monday. And then the Tuesday was the 250s. And I won that 250 race on the one two five. Still the grade Bs, they were still a higher yeah. level above that, but it was getting there. That's good. And you uh, tapped into a bit of supermoto riding at that time, didn't That's you? True. John and Michael both. You got my motocross bikes and trials tyres and did the winter supermoto series right. in Ireland. Started as fun, the trials tyres and then... That was part of the transition to road, so at the end of that 97 season, I was still had no real inclination to switch, but um, between Daddy, Chris Dowd, Fleming Carey, Joe Miller, there was conversations going on. It'd be good to get these boys on road bikes. And Chris Stoud was instrumental in getting borrowed that one two five off Jeff Shaw and took me to Nuts Corner and have a go at that. And yeah. I just got on it. I was like, ah, I quite enjoy that. But it was until I got on it, I didn't really hadn't the inclination to do it. And then I got the, the buzz from it. Worse than that, I put it in a two fifty. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you did. We went two fifty first. Baptism of fire. Baptism fire. RS two fifty was the first bike I rode. Came from Alan Morrison that thing, and it was an absolute right. rocket. We were well, setting that. We went straight out on that in the corner, I forgot. <laughs> so I, that was that was the first practice day. And then you went and Jeff Shaw's. And then I went and got Jeff Shaw's 125, and then I'd done a couple of races at the end of that yeah. season. And then... They left the, the coat hanger in your leathers, didn't they, for that race? <laughs> <laughs> I remember some of the pictures Spoiled of you riding up. around, and like you said, we just came from motocross, so you didn't know that you had to lean, sit, up. lean off the no, bike, put your knee down. Yeah. And he rode all day on wet tyres and a dry track. Really? Yeah. The first race at Mandela Park. Cause Just it was really because really cold and didn't really know any different. You rode on wets? Wets. My first race day. <laughs> Full dry track. Full dry track. Well, it was damp in the morning, so they put wets in and I just didn't change them. I raced the full day on, we're going fast on, the, on wet tyres. That was my first introduction to racing. Number 111. It was that day. You're right. Yeah. 111. Some of the old photographs, they are great. We'll try and uh, locate some of those because uh, I remember watching them. I, I did come back and do one year of motocross then in 98. Um, so you started out motocross and Michael. Uh, sorry, you started road racing in 1998. Yeah, and then John and I went and did a little bit of uh, motocrossing for that uh, final year in 1998. I was lucky that my, my uncle Charlie, he bought a little uh, CR80 for me to, to go and race, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to. And that started to ignite the, the fire in me again because uh, I think uh, I had lost the interest really because everything had been just handed to me yeah. in a plate. I rode a motorbike when I was three years old before I could remember. I'd been racing from when I was five. 
So there was no real hunger, I just expected it. So that year out in 97 ignited a little bit of fire in me, so came back and raced in 98. But I do remember how much fun we did have that year then with Michael going road racing. That was uh, good because my man and daddy realised really early that um, you needed to get across to, to England. And that's a hell of a commitment to go in a little Toyota Hiace van with a bike diagonally in the back. Yeah. And uh, the three of you, and sometimes more of us, went right. across for you to compete in England. We would sleep in, in the front of that, put the front seats down to the, because they had it converted with a little middle set of seats. And then me and my mum and dad would sleep across that for the first few, and then the rest of you all come along. So I remember the first trip. So we decided if we're going to go onto the circuits to go to England and race the British Championship, Championship. because that was. It was the, the best option if you stayed in, in Ireland. You got sucked into the road race scene and obviously Daddy didn't want us to do it. He had been through it and, and knew the risks involved. So we went that way. We st- I did st- started off racing in the Irish Clubmans yes. on that 125 as well. But that trip across was a big financial commitment and uh, and it was good experience-wise. And yeah. so the first ever trip we did was to Mallory Park, Mallory Park for a track day. Yeah, really? For a one-day track day. It was wow. me, myself, Michael, Mum and Dad. All in the one van, and we drove all the way to Murray Park. Oh, no, four of us slept across those seats. Yeah, four of us did slept out there. To get across to Murray Park, that's, for, so it's a three-day uh, mission, to so one day to go there, the day on the track, and then the day travelling back? Yeah, so we'd done a couple of the practice. It was, there was a national 125 championship as well, run alongside the British series that year, So because there were so many 125s back then, so I decided I would do that for the first year as an introduction to racing. But that was a... a a preview day like a mm. practice day for the national class so we drove all the way over to Mallory Park to learn a track and learn the ropes went and done two or three practice sessions got my knee down for the first time ever at Mallory Park hairpin I remember <laughs> feeling that and was like that's a result and then we were happy with how it was going seemed pretty fast and then decided to leave slightly early to get the, the midnight ferry so I can't remember the decision the cutoff point was like about three or four o'clock if we left we'd definitely make the midnight ferry yeah. and then we'd be back for school the next morning wow. so yeah, we set four off us, but um, we were in that Toyota Hiace van, we slept in the paddock, and Mummy remembers this, not that I do, but she said Paul Bird seen us and commented how many people in, in there. In that van. Because, <laughs> would they have been there with the Finto thing yeah, or something? Very possible, actually. Tuesday? I don't recall if the mummy said that. Oh, they work. I remember Eugene McManus was riding for right. uh, for Paul on the Vimto thing. No, no, sorry, not that year. Vimto was, Vimto was later, wasn't no, it? No, but they happened to be there, according to Mummy, I know. But... Oh, yeah. no. It was yeah, yeah. Eugene, did, Eugene and John McGuinness were invented. Started that year. Yeah. that year for, John, for, ah. for Paul Bird in 250. They were, they were because uh, I remember that with the teardrop seat in the back, the first TSR double sided swing arm is that year. So anyway, that was all the way there for a track day and back home in the one day. That's how eager. Yeah. Well, uh, that's keen. And uh, your bike was provided that year then, Michael, by, by Joe Miller. I spoke already to Jeremy McWilliams a few episodes ago. Um, about Joe Miller, uh, he ran a 500 Grand Prix team and he just happened to be a neighbour of ours and my dad knew him about 15 minutes down the road and that was uh, a big help as well, yeah. uh, financial support and probably uh, a good foot in the door. Massive really when you think about it, I had only done those two races or three was at the end of 97, I'd raced once at Mandela and I think twice at Akadui on a borrowed 125 of Jeff from Jeff Shaw and Joe Miller at that time was about to run the Honda Britain effort or part of the Honda Britain effort that year they were putting in a lot of support so they provided 500 V-twins for Scott Smart in the 500 class 
a 250 RS for Simon Turner in the 250 British Championship class and then provided a bike for me off of uh, that was off of Joe's deal him and Fleming Carey negotiated that uh, for me to ride in the in my first ever year of racing so I was sponsored with a brand new motorbike off of what was a Grand Prix team at the time before I had really done anything on circuit racing so it was quite a nice way to come in but then it also brought me to the fore much quicker at home because I remember I'd done a few those races I'd been um, over the winter Jeremy McWilliams run a race school at Nuts Corner we went to that I'd, so I'd done a lot of track time on there done a few that track day over to Mallory Park and I hadn't done I don't think I'd done too much more racing but I turned up then the Easter weekend was quite a big thing in, in Northern Ireland for the, the circuit racing you raced at Akadui on the Saturday and uh, Kirkistown on the Monday and I turned up on the Saturday morning and back then Phelan Owens, Robert Dunlop uh, Darren Lindsay, it, it was it was a stacked one two five field. Like Phelan Owens was the British one two five champion at the time, and I put it in pole position ahead of him. And it was a bog stock one two five that hadn't even had a jet changed in it or nothing. Standard gearbox. Standard well. gearbox, completely bog stock. But I had because I'd been around Akadui yeah. to race at the end of the last year, it wasn't a new circuit for me. So that kind of catapulted me to a higher level, and I had the ability or the knowledge or had no clue what I was doing, but. And then I, I still, I think I finished fourth and fifth or third and fourth that day. I remember battling with Darren Lindsay. And you hadn't crashed races. hard yet. So you no, I hadn't crashed yet. I <laughs> still hadn't crashed. So you were just so fast. As just fast and not having a clue what was going on. But your uh, fair ends on the bike were painted with Miller Racing. It looked uh, like an official bike, but people didn't realise underneath that was a completely standard bike. Stop. So people wouldn't give you the, the credit. I do remember that because they just automatically assumed, well, Miller Racing's in Grand Prix. He's a Miller Racing. Not realising underneath it all was yes. a stock bike. So you were a complete rookie. Um, what you did that day, well, that, that was incredible. Um, with with no schooling from anybody, I, we, had, we had no no training, no no formal training or no practice on those few practice days. So it was quite quite a thing. I think it was. I got quite lucky because it was really cold in the morning. So Phelan and the likes who were really fast. You had crashed. <laughs> they, they, they knew the risk involved, and I didn't. I just rode as fast as I could go. Yeah, yeah. But I was still fast in the races, and I was I was close with them. Like I say, at that time, Phelan was. British champion in, in the one two five. So to come straight away in your first season with very little experience, it was, it was a, a probably a step too far because I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. But it, as you say, this bike was completely bog stock. But a lot of people assumed it was it was yeah. you know it didn't, was, didn't the have any, fans the bodywork looked good, but it was standard exhaust, not even a, a a jet changed in the carburetor. Never had the cylinder or head off it. It was just yeah. a bog stocker. And the Honda Britain thing of the bike that that looked so. Official. I was only talking about Fleming Carey with that about that deal a while back, and he was saying it was him. That was the that was his bargaining power. That was part of the deal that the two fifty and the the one two five came to you. So you had a nice help from him and Joe Miller to get started. Yeah, um, I know back then I didn't start racing road racing until two thousand and one. And I was so lucky because 98, 99, 2000, there was no knowledge, was there really, no. that you um, were riding a standard suspension all those years. We didn't even realise how important suspension was. And in 125 racing at that time, it was all about uh, cylinder, cylinder heads. Let's get some, some horsepower out of this thing. So you did 1998, doing a little bit of national championship in, in England. John started out then 1999. That was the beginning of your road racing career in the Aprilia Super Team Championship yeah. over in England. I, I only started that again at a Maui Park Day. It was my first race. I only did a few races, I mean, a handful of them, but then I got a lucky uh, opportunity because Darren Golly decided to retire from the Klukas MSR 125 and that 
freed that up for me. They asked would I want to write it and yeah, then me, you stepped into that immediately into the British one two five championship in a the, hot seat. Never done a clubman race in my life, sink or swim, away I went, but it was so busy back. I'm trying to think, was there two 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 There was two, a lot of people didn't qualify. Aye, but was there two separate groups or did we all qualify together? I think it was all together, all, together. all on track together. But it was only thirty two in a short track and forty in the longer ones because my first ever race was Mallory Park, qualified thirty second. Again, and I remember Dyson with Chris Martin and stuff and he didn't like it because he was such a high level motocross rider and I was pretty average to, to rubbish in the motocross and yet I come battling with him straight away and he was the previous super teen race winner and stuff and I just somehow, probably looking at it now, look back and that was how I evolved so quickly learning from Michael and I was pretty to be dicing with him and my first ever race was... Yeah, big. something just done on me now then because you mentioned it before Michael whenever I was in 50s Whenever tracks were flat and no real berms or ruts or anything, and I was uh, good, and then it got on to 60s, not much good. Michael got straight on to his first uh, real race uh, on a stock bike, and the thing in pole position. And then John, uh, whenever you first entered in the British 125 Championship, you were starting to battle with guys that you shouldn't really have been engaged on your motocross career. So you do wonder where that came from. Um, maybe it's the fact that we did have fields. Uh, around us whenever we were growing up and that's where we did a lot of mileage speed. on f yeah we, we knew speed and we knew flat corners we weren't really into these sandy tracks with yeah. ruts and berms maybe that's where why the the road racing was in us in some way because uh, uh me and john definitely weren't great motocrossers no. um, to, and to road the, racing. the comparison chris martin was absolute talent like uh, top british team green rider yeah and, and motocross he had the potential to go grand prix to go grand prix and for me for him to be doing uh super teens and stuff prior to that and I hopped in straight away my first year in Dyson with him in my first ever race that doesn't stack up and he, yeah. he couldn't process it either well if you think back to how we used to set up our tracks on 50s and 80s and stuff around the fields at home we rode the perimeter off the hedge yeah. line for a lot of it so it was, it was really <laughs> fast actually so our outline was like a road race and whenever I think back to the the 90s before this early 90s like 90 and 91 or late 80s we were watching 500 GPs thinking we were Kevin Schwantz and mm. Wayne Rennie. So whenever we would jump on our bikes then that evening, if we were allowed to go out in the fields, we would be going as fast as we could around the outside of the of the, the field and trying to lean off the bike and put our knee down. So we were True. road racers in in theory on yeah. on uh, on motocross bikes, little little motocross bikes. And then we had that little Suzuki, uh, it was left behind by John Boyd who emigrated to Australia, a little, mm -hmm. uh, what would you call it? Hybrid was a monkey bike hybrid, yeah. and that was on on road going tires. We used to take that out in the fields and then drift that thing, mm. put it back a few gears, let go of the clutch, and try and drift it into corners. And so it was more a, a road race, sliding about, playing about uh, background. We had big speed though. Uh, oh, big, big speed. speeds. So we we're probably more more trained, just from what we done playing. There was no thought process behind it, no purposeful practices yeah. they talk about to, to develop that skill. But well, unknowingly, we, we, all, we almost were doing a we were. little bit of a road racing style, but because that's what was on TV on a Sunday, there wouldn't have been the MXGP. Yeah. It was the 500 Grand Prix on TV, and then uh, we would go out and uh, simulate that. Thing. That's great. I totally forgot we used to do that until Michael said, but that hedge is now removed in the field. But in the first field where I built the house, yeah. we had a hedge there, and we used to was to ride the close to the hedge as possible as fast as you, you could around move. the bottom <laughs> I do remember a lot of the tracks were exactly that and fast. if you were to build a little supercross or motocross track usually what you do is hairpins back in itself yeah. like within a stadium so uh, what you were building was uh, road race tracks on like grass track. yeah. so there you go we've unlocked uh, the secret now there's going to be guys putting their kids out and no no don't be doing that twisty crap what you need to be doing is out around the outside of the hedge edge of the hedge sixth gear <laughs>
I remember we had an outline and all three of us would race around it together and then one day you decided to jump between one field to the other with no pre-warning. Was it you? And I rode clean into the side of you. Was it John? So John did. So we were coming round really fast and then the, the gap into the other field was just, just an opening in the hedge and John just decided I was coming down the outside of him. He would turn in and I just No indicators. No indicators, <laughs> no signal and had changed the track from the previous lap. So he decided we were going into that field to, to go even faster and I just nailed big, him. That was one of the biggest big collisions crash. we ever had. Um, survived it that was a <laughs> proper road burns up the arms how are we going to go up to mommy now and tell her about this <laughs> <laughs> I definitely try and cover it up uh, so then I started road racing um, in 2001 but if I recall those years then when I had to sit on the, on the sidelines again that made me more passionate for racing again that was a great thing now looking back at that hindsight 1999 and 2000 because I would come to the races to watch Michael first and then to watch Michael and John and crazy when I think back to my perspective at that stage in 1999 Michael you started doing some British Championship races I still remember being stood at Snedderton in the final chicane and like you were starting to to make some inroads starting to get into that sort of 17th 18th position yeah. and my dream like at that stage was it wasn't about me racing that was just that was just a, a pipe dream my dream was geez, if my bigger brother Michael could score a point in British 1v5 championship <laughs> racing I could die happy <laughs> that was Job my perspective done. and then so and then a few years later when you look back at interviews and stuff and thinking yeah I want to compete in MotoGP so things change quickly I didn't even think about me racing because I wasn't yeah. I was never going to be capable of that you say that um, and it's so true what you pick up here in or lies, excuses, but over the problems would happen. You learn from those because Stuart Easton pulled out an old photograph and he was, would he have been winning, I don't know if it was, 600 then? Was he in the 600 championship when you hadn't started racing? Uh, Stuart started 2002 in 600s. Stuart, well, it was 2002, he just started racing. No, I'd, I'd been 01, so probably Stuart was like 125 racing. Right? No, 250, he'd only a year, 250 and ah, yeah. 01. Right, so he's standing with the trophy anyway, and he says, in the background is Eugene standing with a football on a yellow coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never raced, he's going, no, it's just, he's, he's GPs and sit by semi retired, and he's going, how did it happen? But you're learning all the time when you're present, when you're at the, at the track. I was, I, I used to go out and watch uh, the first sessions, and 125s would be first on track, I think, so let's say it was nine o'clock in the morning. And I was a lazy kid. I was never going to get up out of my bed unless I had to. And I do remember going out and watching Michael's practice, some of them freezing cold, mm. just in my little yellow jacket and watching. be the only one standing on trackside. So I was learning, learning not realising it. I was a fan. But then I was learning for the first time that I got on my bike. If I compare that to Michael getting on a bike mm. in 1998 and leaving the coat hanger inside his leather suit, <laughs> he didn't know what to do. Whereas by the time I got on a bike in 2001, I already knew I want to get my knee down, I want to yeah. do this and do that, and with the help of you schooling me too. And he didn't even teach me that you had to lift your foot back off, you know, off the top of the lever, so over the brake levers and stuff, otherwise you take the toe out of the boots, so I ran a pair of boots. Remember that? And one, one, Brand new Why didn't you lift your toe up onto the footrest to take, ah, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Were those boots Jeremy McWilliams have I, sponsored you then from his, uh, what was his shop called, Race Base? Yes, yeah. in Belfast. Good pair of Alpine Star boots hold. But the, the interesting bit, I did ride that bike, that was your bike I was riding then, just to, I was practicing around Nuts Corner, but I went to the Super Teens and did half the season, then got that British championship opportunity on, the, on a British 125 GP bike and had a few races over there. But my first ever race back home in Ireland was the Sunflower. I never raced any club mans or anything, so I went in sink or swim right to British Championship 
And when I look back and go, well, that accelerated me so quick because mm. I went to the Sunflower and was dicing for the, at the front. The U yeah, the Sunflower yeah. is a big race a big in Ireland race. at the end of the, the race. So you had the boys the who came over who was Darren Barton, when he won five British champion then. Yeah. Steve Patricks and you, Darren Lindsay. And I was tagging on the back of that, not really pushing you, but still uh, there, there, which is crazy to think. Zero club man, zero, zero anything, and then ride straight at the front of national yeah. Irish. So you can accelerate the, the learning. And I, I did miss quite a few races in uh, British Championship because I didn't qualify. There was only 32 allowed in the grid and 40 in longer tracks. I remember Ron Hasm raced with Leon. Yeah. And he, he trailed him around and, and helped him. And then he never raced. So in qualifying, there was always he would pull off the grid and give an extra, One extra. an extra slot. So I was thirty third at Knock Hill. I was getting on the grid because Ron pulled out. Yeah. But the guy number eight, Gavin Morris, yeah, was higher up in the championship, and his bike must have seized. So they let him in because he was dicing for top ten in the championship. So he stole my position. I didn't get the race in Knock Hill. But all them things, they're all learning curves and. Oh, right. the, the caliber of rider that you were riding with in England that just dragged you on so even if you weren't qualifying whenever somebody like Steve Patrickson passes you during practice yeah. and you try and tag on for a corner you learn yeah. you learn lots and we were getting lots of track time we were getting lots of track time but at the same time we weren't learning enough in my opinion back then because we didn't have so daddy done the bikes and then whenever Philip Marin got injured then he started coming with us and Philip's now one of the best crew chiefs in the world but he developed then at the same rate as us so he yeah, was Philip didn't have an interest in uh, road racing he was um, he, he just got into racing through he's married to her sister Emma yeah and then was around in the house and then like you say and he mechanic. got injured he was a qualified mechanic and he, he had a car bad. crash and then he, he was injured so he had the arm injury so he was no longer going to work so he started coming to bike racing with, with us and then we together we started learning. Oh, we need to jet these things, so we need to figure out the jet, and we need to uh, change the compression on the on the heads of the one two fives. We need to play about with fuel to get the to to get the thing right to get it running to the level you needed in British one two five championship. And I think that's why we were always a little bit too far down the order in one two fives because we could hadn't quite figured out how to run them properly, how to get them fast enough. And I, in my opinion, it took until we got on to six hundreds where it was it it was less important because you had more horsepower and then we could show her what we'd learned over those yeah. years but it was it was hard grafting the 125s because there were a lot of fast guys there but we were on slow bikes I remember when Rub, we, rubbish slow yeah they were really yeah. slow do you remember the year of Wisner Pistons yeah and season, <laughs> season well my second season year I'd never been a crasher but in 1999 I had 26 crashes or something and a lot of high sides Wisner and a lot of seizures and yeah. get learning to catch the clutch and but it was 20 odd crashes and we didn't it was family funded, so we, we had a f some sponsors from home that helped us out, but it was a lot of daddy working in the workshop during the week to pay for it. A lot of crashes, and we used to paint the, the bodywork back to, to Joe Miller colours and that. I remember even the cost involved with doing that. Mm -hmm. and that lucky we were wearing AM leathers at the time, and they crashed pretty good. They took yeah, a lot of bashing. They, 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 were, they were tough as old bits. They, they lasted, the, lasted the, the run of crashes in my second year racing. But yeah, it was a it, there was a lot of learning went on. It was it was we were just learning off each other, spitballing ideas on. It was all focused on riding because we, I, in my opinion, because we rode motocross and it was all about the rider rather than the setup. We didn't start focusing on setup until maybe a few t years too late, and that's why I always say to kids now is ask questions, ask yeah. people with experience because you can siphon so much information, shortcut the learning process. Totally. In two thousand and one, we were at that year in Ireland. Two thousand and one, yeah. <laughs> That was the year we decided to do the circuit championship at home and a few European rounds. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, 2001 you did. You went so to we the went to Europe European Championship. And that was, that was a big eye-opener. That was Because our bikes were so slow. We had 
bog standard suspension. I actually realised now it was a Pannonia ring that there was something, there was no gas in the shock, it was a Penske shock, but I couldn't understand why it was handling so bad through turn three, a right-hander, but it makes sense now. Yeah. We didn't know. And you were racing against uh, Mickey Calio and guys like that on factory bikes. Jorge Lorenzo was there. Jorge Lorenzo was there. was in the Because I remember Jorge Lorenzo passed me and going, he's so small and his bike was so quick and I'm going, but... He didn't really have it all then, but by the end of the year he had it. He was winning them, but he was he wasn't really quick at the start. To clarify that one, so we got supporting from the Sports Council of Northern Ireland, um, and it was based on further development. So we had to go to Europe to right, so we got why. some budget. But um, and Alan Patterson had been a, a previous GP rider, understood the ropes, so he helped my mum sort out the financing from the Sports Council, and he looked after us. He was took great. Us out there, that so was a big, big opportunity myself, you and Darren Lindsay. So we went. We'd got a pre-season test in Spain for the first time. We drove down to Cartagena, right. learnt to ride in Spain for the first time. On the way back, called in at Valencia to watch the World Superbikes, then stopped in Andorra and done some skiing. So we made a proper trip out of it. <laughs> and this, and is the, this is all in the days where nobody had a mobile phone. So mum, we just thought we were just, just gone. We were, we were gone. Well. <laughs> was it we, the time we went to Spain for three days testing, it took us two weeks. <laughs> Didn't know when, when we were coming back. But whenever we got... Well, that was a, a really good experience and yeah. opened our eyes so much to traveling to Europe and driving down there. And having to wash dishes because your mum wasn't there. Right. Alan was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Get the dishes done. All right. And this is what's like with the mother here. And I had, a, I had had a license, but not to drive the truck, but I was in there driving away yeah. the truck <laughs> yeah. and through Europe. Even I remember actually, I was so keen to drive whenever I... I had a, was a 16, but I could drive with my provisional license. So I remember driving over to England to to get fitted up for my leathers at AM leathers and Stephen Thompson then beside me and we were getting off the ferry and the guy looking That's at me right. going you should be driving the car you're too young I'm like, no 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 I'm old enough but I hadn't actually got the test <laughs> I was like but Stephen was supposed to drive us there but I preferred to drive myself but same then whenever we got driving to Europe I loved driving so I'd just jump behind the wheel and, and truck True. away so I remember Alan went to sleep one night so he said just keep heading on that road and I was that keen to get down to Spain. I probably went two or three hours longer than I was supposed to. The but that road ends nice. out and I headed up, got to, into Spain and we headed towards Santander. We headed off that way. So then pulled up, found the services, went to sleep and about 7am the next morning, Alan got up to drive on and I just hear the shout, where have you taken us? <laughs> so, no such thing as GPS back then. You know, Alan said, keep going straight. <laughs> and I kept going straight. <laughs> You just uh, turn around and say, I thought these Rockies were going to be a whole lot rockier than this. That was like a dumb and dumber scene. You were driving a sheep down. I was sleeping, by the way. I was yeah. doing a lot of sleeping. By <laughs> I came along to one of those races with you as well, uh, going in the truck and traveling across Europe just to, to watch. And I remember seeing guys like uh, Mickey Calio and yeah. wow, they used to pass you guys Andrea like you were stood still. Yeah. It was a big one. I actually remember turning up, that was the first European round we'd done was in Vallelonga, the 125s, and it was just another level. We turned up, as you say, out, out the back of the van, no real idea what we were doing, but coming on track. And I remember following Calio at the time was actually faster than Dovey. Calio yeah. was the man, and I remember yeah, following him. Red, Red Devils. Red Devils, Devils. Yeah, back then. And I remember following that first chicane at Vallelonga, it was a fast change of direction. I remember following Calio through it, doing exactly what he'd done, and then he just left me down the street, and I was like, that was kind of one of them realizations where I was like, oh, actually, I can do this, but it's my bike's just slow. So it, up until that point, I hadn't really put it together. I was like, oh, actually, I can break with them, I can turn with them, I can do everything, but I'm just getting dropped down the straight. So that was a big realization then. Although it didn't, it, we still didn't change too much at that time. We just had what we had and kept riding with it. And it was you, Michael, that I remember first having the conversation with uh, our dad because um, now just thinking about that stage that we were at, that investment, commitment, everything that we were doing, but this was for a hobby. That's yeah, the crazy yeah. thing. There was no mention of being no. professional. I think it was you that first uh, 
it first dawned on you, hang on a second, maybe this can be a career. And you almost uh, arguing with your dad to say, no, no, if we keep at this, we're pretty good here. And if we get the right equipment, right. team around us, I could be a professional. He was, Michael was so fast that one in 2001 because there was two groups then and myself and Darren Lindsay didn't qualify and you and Chris Martin did qualify. Yeah. Chris Martin was winning British Championship level then and yeah. in 1-2-5, he was pretty quick and you were, you were as good as him. But the laughing bit, funny bit is it was so warm back then. Here was the, the white paddies arrived and Michael was a wee round-faced, white, chubby boy and a wee small frame but ate chocolate and lived in Coca-Cola. Had no idea about hydration. <laughs> so he arrived into the weekend and he couldn't realise why he was dizzy and so uh, many things. I remember finishing that race almost delirious because yeah. I hadn't drunk an ounce of water all weekend because I drunk Coca-Cola Coca -Cola. and that was it. And I recall, I was in the sideline because I didn't qualify. Yeti reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing Michael and he was absolutely punctured oh, and the other God. people weren't because the hydration they were used to, the climate, but Michael was, a, again, all learning curve. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that heat whenever you first uh, rode in it. Even arriving there and feeling the heat and go, whoa, this mm. is serious. And then you're out in the back bike and the adrenaline just gets you through. Uh, you're, you're running on adrenaline, you're going to fight until you get to that point where it's dangerous. Mm. If you're de were dehydrated, but you were so delirious. Dehydrated, delirious, yeah. Didn't yeah. know. But we had no clue about training, about nutrition. We did do some exercise. It was like, um, yeah. well, a lot of it in the younger exercise. years, it was just because you were young and bouncy and you, you play full, you were playing football or whatever, and you were fit enough and never had any issues with fitness. But then. The diet was a big. The diet was terrible. Hydrated. <laughs> Yeah, hydration was a big thing whenever you went to Europe. You could have got away with it in yeah. England a lot of the time, but if you were doing European races, would have been uh, long enough then. So say if they were 40 minutes, you're going to be losing two, two and a half litres of fluid. And the you didn't even have that to start. <laughs> we didn't even have that in the van. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so you had to drain the windscreen wipers. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So um, we'll move on to my favourite year then. When I think back, this is the crazy one, 2002. Um, well, actually, the end of 01, even then, uh, we did mention about that you'd been doing some sort of moto, and Michael was really handy in sort of moto, and you were at a bit of a crossroads because um, you didn't know how to, to go forward then in racing. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, even you were thinking about sort of moto because you'd done a few world sort of moto rounds. Yeah, so look, we, we did touch on supermoto earlier. That was a big winter series in Northern Ireland, and that first year we rode it was my first year before going road racing, 97 to 98, and then we were quite good just on 250s with trials tyres, mm -hmm. and then we started getting uh, some help with it. Chris Dowd helped us the first few years, and then we called him Uncle Seamus, but my dad's cousin, Seamus Laverty, had the company Classic Class. He got involved and bought uh, me a CR500, which I raced, and I was racing then against Philip Neal and Paul Bird, two of my team bosses that I rode for so much in my career. I had many races with them in Supermoto. And then I got 450 KTM, and then started winning at home. I never actually won the championship. I was always beat by Davey Tucker. Or he was great, though. He, he was, was very fast. Good, but he, he taught me a lot. I won the summer series, but I never won the winter series, and that was the big one at home. Because he, he weighed a hell of a lot more and a lot more traction for a start. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but actually, it was actually Philip Neal. I remember being at a, a bike show in, in the King's Hall in the winter. So it must have been maybe the Billy Nut Show or whatever. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but Philip Neal told me one night, he said, I've been watching you. I've been racing against you and how Philip had stopped. He said, yeah. Go and get your suspension done. And I was like, why? He said, that's what you're missing. He said, You've got the, the bike's got the speed. I had the KTM 450, so it had a fast enough bike. He's like, that's where you're missing it all. So I went to Clarence Bell, I think it was, done the, we got the, the forks revalved, I got the shock Low, revalved, lowered, lowered, lowered the bike. I put the supermoto trim, and then that was it. I, I all of a sudden was fast enough to win and completely changed my riding. So then I, that was also a, a realisation. 
settings so is much about the setting and then I was still riding with a motocross mentality I just need to ride this faster but Philip Neal taught me a lot then and that was before I'd ever rode for a team or anything so then that that next year I went and got uh, raced a couple of British for Wire a guy Steve Woodhouse in the British Supermoto Series and then we, he was like oh let's go to America and go to Europe so I went and raced an AMA race I went and raced the two world championship races one in Italy and one in Austria drove out in the motorhome so I was like oh actually there's a career to be had in Supermoto so at that end of that one season I was thinking my dad had spent so much money and I needed to step up to 600s or what and where do you go from there how do you get that funding so it was, I was considering going full time supermoto but I'm so glad that we, we decided to, to make it happen in, in, uh, in 600s and again and that's when Joe Miller stepped in again yeah, that, was, uh, that was a lifeline it really was so that, that year start of 2002 um, I sat on the sidelines so that was the, it went role reversal. You were there. John was there in a one two five supported by classic le- glass. Had a good level with with good suspension. You had a good and setup. Good and Philip was there as your mm. chief mechanic. And uh, you boys went to round one of the British Championship, and I didn't have a bike, so I stayed home. And uh, then Joe Miller actually bought me a CR CBR Honda through Roger Harvey, coming a bog standard bike. And I was at one of the races. You boys were riding maybe round two or three of the British Championship, and I got speaking to Mark Hanna. And he was like, don't do that. He said, you'll spend too much time on a standard bike getting it tuned. I'll put you in contact with Tenkata, and that'll be a race-winning bike. So we called, called Garrett, and he was like, yep, sure, come over. So me and Philip drove over in the same highest van and drove over. We weren't sure if we could fit, uh, fit the bike in. So bought the CBR 600 off Garrett and took the front wheel out and got it into the back of that van and drove it home. Went straight to Donington Park and uh, done a track day and then raced. And I think, I, I can't remember where I finished outside the top 10, but it was okay. And then from then on, so the next race I done was Alton Park, I think it was fifth. And then every race after that was either first or second. And we had not a single spare. All I had for that was a w- spare set of bodywork, a white fairing, and a spare set of wheels and a little plastic tray of spares. I, I remember the little plastic tray with a handle in the middle. Yeah. It was it was crazy what you had to go and race in the British Super Sport. Um, so the, the bike was good. It was a uh, St. Carrie tuned uh, Honda over in Holland, and they, they were the top World Super Sport team at that time. But uh, the spares that you had, you, you couldn't Zero. even have written it. There was a couple of loose sprockets just. That yeah. was it, a few sprockets. But we, I knew I couldn't afford to crash it because we, we couldn't afford to fix it. I didn't have any budget. And that was the first kind of me stepping out on my own a little bit from relying on mommy and daddy to pay the bills. Joe bought the bike. You had to get sponsors. Oh, had to get some sponsors that's to crazy help us. Because I, I, sitting listening, I'm, I'm sitting going, this is the news to me. I didn't know how that happened, that you and Philip did that in a, in a highest van. I didn't know how you got that bike. I recall... You drove all the way to Holland. We drove all the way to Holland, and then and we drove all the way down there. Cool. Garrett took us out for dinner. This was before Garrett had expanded the team. He was doing really good in World Supersport, but hadn't wasn't. It was a small shop, and yes. we got a good relationship with Garrett. And he, he's like, I'll look but after. But then you. he also knew Joe Miller, and that was a great. So well, yeah, Joe. We went there, and Joe transferred the money. Yeah, that's to, me. He, to he knew Garrett he was, to buy the bikes. So we knew he was good safe. for it. And safe. then he liked the idea of giving. Uh, yeah. a, a young kid a chance of helping support someone in the British Championship so then Garrett would phone me up to see how it was going and yeah. give me some advice but the thing that was up with the bike originally it would come with bog stock suspension WP suspension but standard they hadn't set it yes. the engine was really good but the suspension wasn't set and then Chris Taylor from K-Tech was really helpful so I would pop in and ask and he would tell me what to do put more preload on and then he realised the shock was standard so he gave me an Olin shock for it oh, okay. and he provided that and helped a bit with setup and, uh, and that, Truxton, that made the difference got the suspension at Truxton I can't remember when I got it but I definitely remember they, it was K-Tech guys they, they really helped me that year that Truxton one is the one where 
Marcel, who is now the crew chief of... Marcel Dunker. Marcel Dunker, who is now the crew chief of Leon Haslam. Yeah. And uh, Werner Damon came yeah. to watch you because they also had a Vance on World Super Sports satellite team of Werners. And they were keen uh, what, uh, to see how... You, to see what I was doing there. So, so they, their eyes got open when they see <laughs> had a look at your spares kit. Well, yeah, they came over to see it and realised we were out the back of a van with nothing. Um, but he loved that because he's a, he's a big family guy like uh, Werner is like that. He just thinks that's... Yeah, he still looks at his memories and best times. And, and I think about that now. It was a slight opportunity missed because I went. I actually stepped up to the occasion. I won the race. That was my first ever British Supersport win that Sunday. You were racing against Simon Andrews, who had a huge budget, lovely R six. Well, the Stuart Easton one with the Monster Mob Ducati. That was a factory seven four eight. And you were beating those guys, God rest Simon. Now they were top top racers, top machinery, and you yeah. were out of the back of a van, so you were. Shooting well, punching well. With well I'd done six races from uh, them first two initial races where I was figuring the thing out, but then the next six races I finished either first or second. So I think I had three wins in three seconds and finished third in the championship. And we did the back then, the engine blew up. Yeah, it opened the first time. Yeah. Remember Alton Park when it blew up and then Scott Smart lent Scott you Smart. an engine? No, that was the second time. It was the first oh, was time it? it blew up was at Brands Hatch GP it blew up in the first practice session and we didn't have a spare so right. that was that was me parked for the weekend no it wasn't you ended up raining I rode the 125 yeah. <laughs> that, that's my favourite like that <laughs> it was so mad to think that you'd went from winning British Super Sport races and he didn't even have a spare engine so once it blew up I think uh, John and I were racing a 125 British Championship at that stage and there was an old shitter in the back that was yeah. maybe used for spare parts and Michael then decided ah, I'm not going to sit in the sidelines I'll, I'll join you as a race and that thing was so slow and you actually battled out in the front group of the British 125 Championship uh, against proper bikes and proper riders I remember, yeah. that. I remember that I battled so hard in that race it was one of the hardest races I rode because I was just doing all, all the work on the brakes and passing them over it was um, Mid Smart was in the group yeah, Guy Farbrother as well and the Red Bull rookies um, John Pearson I remember having to pass him so many times I remember actually him saying about it afterwards that he felt sorry for me because of the speed <laughs> of my bike down the street well, I remember scrapping so hard. I should have been on the podium that day, but I just got passed in the last couple of laps down the streets. But uh, it was good fun, actually, to, to jump back in all T5 and just... Embarrass me and John as well in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Smoked us. That was supposed to be my... That was my all singing, all dancing. White pair suspension, everything, and I couldn't hang with your stuff out there. Yeah. But yeah, the but way then, you were riding at that stage was unreal, Michael. It was a little bit jumping off a big bike with horsepower and then this yeah. thing feeling like a little toy, so I was just Gone taking up. big risks and just taking liberties on it and getting away with it. Yeah, and then you actually joined. <laughs> Not, it wasn't even as if it was like, yeah, I'll just do this weekend, then we'll get that engine next week. You didn't have an engine ready for the next round either, so you came and joined us again in Rockingham. Rockingham. And that was, that was really where the shit hit the fan, because then we were three bikes. Uh, our dad, I think Philip, was helping us. but No, Philip on, couldn't come that weekend. Uh, okay, so, so Philip couldn't come weekend. to help us, so suddenly... I remember the race schedule was crazy and the Sunday for some reason they changed the race order I think so the from Sunday morning warm up to the yeah. race was a really short time but one and, hour yeah. and we had to go under the bridge to get tyres ah, yeah. right. so, so we had a long distance to travel and, and stuff. that race what, what happened so I remember what happened to to mine was it, I think I, I lasted the longest where I think my chain jumped off or something I can't remember if it left something loose but did you two even make the grid? we, we no. both qualified quite well I qualified in the front row of the grid I, I think I qualified second you were third or fourth I was on the front Either front or second or the green. You might have been the front. I, I think I qualified yeah. second. We're definitely qualified well. We're at the front, anyway. And I remember one of you, I think it was you, decided to change your gearbox after morning one. No, no. I didn't. Uh, I had a change of gearbox. Right. I remember that morning. Oh, sorry. I was the one who changed the. I'd done the gearboxes when Philip wasn't there, so okay. I had to change someone's gearbox. 
and then I was putting the pressure. Maybe it was you changed, so I changed. You were, you, Sorry, you were a big into the manuals. I said someone you, wanted you the gear watch. change, so I had to change probably a lower second gear or something. So I had to pull the gearbox out, change the gears. You boys were trying to change tires, prep fuel, and Daddy was so between us, we shouldn't be spattered because we were. He gave us a bit of a help. That's right. So this is how my fault, my my finger pointing blame went. I got the wheels. Put the wheel in the bag, put the axle in, put the chain on, said to Paul, you tighten that wheel. Yeah. Between me and him, he thought I'd... Uh, he so you went to put your leathers on because uh, we were in such a rush, such a rush. And, and asked him to finish the job. And I had hand tightened it. And that lasted all of the warm-up lap and the wheel fell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what happened mine, but I remember standing... You were trying to get my... Your uh, spark the plug... Uh, was it, was was it not the quick shifter spark plug? Was this, it was an electrical, electrical issue on the grid. Yeah. yeah. So, so both yeah. of us pulled off the front of the oh, grid. Both of us didn't get you to start the race. Started the race. And, I was uh, well happy because suddenly <laughs> the, I had two riders less to contend with. But again, I didn't finish the race, so I remember that being a long the, drive home. I remember that. And to top, top it off, remember what happened to me that day? I went to get my wrist x-rayed and it was broke. <laughs> Skyfight, I had been, had been going on, going, oh, the wrist isn't good, the wrist isn't good. I found my crash at the from start of the year. From a crash at Silverstone where the bike seized, uh, turn one, once a close throttle. And I was like, oh, that's how the wrist is. Just the way this day's going, I'm going to get this x-rayed. So they had got an x-ray machine on site and I got an x-ray there, it was broke. That was all three of us, nothing nothing to show, no 3 DNS. <laughs> I remember that in a long journey home. I remember actually arguing with Daddy, and we didn't argue that often, but no. he was just but annoyed to be, that we to be there all present, up. I remember that weekend, Robbie Burns, who ended up being a sponsor of yours, and also myself racing, he was driving past us and he found it. We were quite obviously family oriented and fun to be around, so he kept talking to us. Right. But he had interest. I remember that. And he ah, so that's so that's my next question. I was going to ask Michael. So then Michael did get a good ride for two thousand three in British Supersport with Robbie Burns' veterans team. Do you think that was the first moment? Probably. Then? I remember he had a flash car and he was driving by and he thought it was hilarious that we were actually at a competitive level and we were doing this all ourselves. So he obviously realised there was ability and wanted involvement. Yeah. Well, that was it. Was funny that end of 2002 because I was starting obviously had bought the bike off of Tenkata so I had the interest from Garrett and Werner come uh, to see me and they were thinking about me for World Supersport the next year so that for was Van a, for Van Zone yeah. as in Werner's which was a satellite kind of the second supported Tenkata team so I went and rode the Werner invited me to come and ride the Dutch Championship and I rode yeah. Assen on the short Assen circuit where you turned right it's kind of yeah. like the circuit is now I went and raced there on one of their bikes but it was, I was racing on Dunlop tyres in the British Championship and then got on Pirelli's right. and the bike felt so different I had no idea big wide track like that I hadn't figured it out so it didn't do very good to, to kind of put myself in the shop window and then at the end of the season Werner wanted me to come and ride Imola the last round of the British Supersport Championship but at the same time Honda UK Roger Harvey had contacted me about riding for them the next season in the Brit, they were going moving back from World Supersport to British Supersport to ride in there. What then was a big thing to ride for the Honda Britain in the British Supersport. So I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So John McGuinness was racing World Supersport and wasn't getting on very good that year. Did wasn't enjoying it and they decided to sit him out for the last round and give me the opportunity in Imola. So that was the year of the Edwards Bayless uh, going I, for the championship in Imola, and I went there. Uh, in the Honda UK Castro Honda team and work Ian Lord was my crew chief I rode John McGuinness's bike that weekend but in fairness to John the bike was a dog and it was really slow compared to what I had on the 10 cata even what I had in the British Championship so I didn't do very well I can't remember I think I made a scrape the point yeah you finished 16th finished 16th and Jimmy Whittam's bike didn't start on the button so he got kicked out and I got the point because yeah. I remember he was playing the pool boys band that night and he, and he, he, was, he was just laughing about it that I, he said oh, at least someone's benefited out of my bad luck so he got thrown out and I got a point for the World Super Sport but then, like I say, that could have been my opportunity to go to World Championship, but then 
with the Honda UK thing I was going down that route and then at the last minute they decided to just run one rider with Carl Harris but Robbie Burns was there and keen and been speaking to me at that time and he got all the bikes off of Tenkara and decided to run a, a, a good British Championship effort and signed me as one of the riders going forward. So that was my first team I joined You and in. Callum Ramsey? Me and Callum Ramsey for the 2003. Just come back a bit there, did you say I'm Colin Edwards? That blew my mind. Did Colin Edwards actually showed you around the track and all, didn't he? It blew my mind. I remember it turning on up. Thursday. Uh-huh. And, but I was still drinking Coca-Cola then. I remember because <laughs> I, I remember seeing Colin the night before, the Thursday night, and Colin was having a, a can of Coca-Cola in the restaurant. I was like, well, if he's fighting for a World Championship, there's nothing wrong with it. But at that time, I was starting to... <laughs> someone told me, you know, you need to stop drinking that. You need to drink water. And her, but then Colin the next morning, Adrian Gorse was his crew chief and they had set up for Colin to come and took me around in the scooter, showed me all the things on Emily track and that was just next level. He was a hero. Funny, I work with him now on television, but that was, I must actually say to him, I've never told him about I, that. I, he, it sticks he was, in my mind. He'd wow, probably he forget that. Showed you around. But Colin, he, it's, wow. he was battling for the championship that weekend. He was so cool, so relaxed and had yeah. so much time for me. Would call in after my session, how are you getting on? Whenever it was wet, come in and told me a few things to look out for. It was, it was just such a cool experience to be part of that that weekend. Okay. As I was sneaking back to hospitality for another can of coke and a little Kinder bar of chocolate, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea I was getting this opportunity, and I would just not do myself any favours. So the yeah, looking you, going, well, you weren't educated. That is the thing. And, uh, nowadays things are a lot easier to find. You can almost type into Google like, uh, "What should I eat? What should I drink before a hot race?" So back then, we didn't really have that chance. Um, there is a lot to be said. Then, uh, whenever I think about all through our careers, how many times uh, sponsors have supported? Um, both of us not at the same time, but one after the other, I think, because I like to think that we're, we're a nice family. And so you mentioned veterans then, I supported Michael, also supported John. If I look back right through your career, then Joe Miller, he yeah. supported you twice, gave you a couple of lifelines. Tiny McGinstry gave me my uh, first bike as well. Um, with EMS, of course, was a huge, huge supporter, leader. all three of us. Yep. EMS supported, um, was Pat Duke, um, supported Michael first, and Michael yeah. went and won a European Superstock race. Well, you should that talk about that one, because that was mad. Well, that was that same year, that 2002, 2002. when I was just doing a bit of everything. Done everything. Uh, so they phoned me up, and the guy who was riding that bike that year, Declan Swanton, was struggling in the European Superstock, and they were like, do you want to go at Brands Hatch? So I went, that was that year 2002 when I was doing my own thing with my bike. So that was nice stuff. For me, that was a team environment. Someone else was driving the truck, someone else was preparing the bike and I just turned up and rode. Uh, and I was running top five and the bike broke down in the race at Brands Hatch. And then I went to another round at Aston, the next round. I qualified third and I, I led it in the first lap and cleared off the win by 10 seconds. So that was also another thing for Tenkata in Assen at home yeah. in front of them so they were going this boy's got some talent and that's why they were looking at me for potentially for World Super Sport the year after but, but that was really fairy tale because a super stock championship is meant to be meant to do what it says in the tin where you get a whole lot of young riders and similar level machinery all battling together and then you went and absolutely cleared off in the race and then after the race nobody could believe that it, oh, this guy must be cheating and then uh, they stripped your bike that's right, right to the yeah. vents because you can back to Cadwell Park with the bike, with the bike and bits. John Preston from EMS he had to build the damn thing and he had oh, that's right it was but that was a proper fairy tale one because yeah. even the team the guys that were involved they, they were trembling and in tears and everything because yeah. they couldn't believe that you'd stepped in and uh, not just battled for the win but to go and clear off like that and we were competing against Alstara Suzuki factory team at the time it was some, some big money so it was there was a lot of budget against us so we done we really punched above our weight that weekend it was but I, you, I just kind of took it all hmm. you know it wasn't even then, I wasn't thinking with a professional really attitude. It was just riding on natural feeling and, and ability, and it did get get me a long way before I realised actually 
I don't know shit. And it <laughs> took until actually the biggest education I got was halfway through my 2003, my first season in a team. Still wasn't being paid a salary. Robbie would give me a free ride. And I won some races at the start of the year and was going good. But then halfway through the year, everything started to dip. I was still drinking Coke. I still wasn't training. I was still eating crap. And Joe Barr was a, uh, yeah. a yeah, former, I, former, former, former pro cyclist, was at, at Brands Hatch World Superbikes where I was doing a World Supersport wildcard that season. And he, was, he said he was stunned looking at me and he said he remembers tapping the bottles of water together and sort of saying, you're missing all the simple things. And then I went to have a meeting with Joe that week and then that, that's when my whole career changed because he educated me on what was required to be a professional, professional, to train, to on your diet, on your nutrition, hydration, your the simple because things. Because you had a big crash as well in your body where you were, you were breathing right. correctly, your diaphragm was totally knocked. He took us to see Michael Kerr. Michael yeah. Kerr has been a huge part of all our career in terms of the anatomy and physiology. Yeah, and 16 years now. You think that was 2003 and he's still looking after us 16 years later? Yeah. But he knows he, our bodies well. He knows us well, but he educated me yeah. that time. I 100%. obviously part of the the decline was because I had big crashes. I had concussion. I hadn't been treating treated or anything. Yeah. And I learned so much in that short window, and then that made me a professional. And I did get my first paid ride then in two thousand and four. So I would say my transition was to as a professional was oh four when Paul Bird sent me to ride the Monster Mob Ducati and and paid me a salary to go racing. Yeah, that was a big changeover, and then I got the Red Bull Rookies opportunity as as well with professional teams, and I was just fortunate for that hard graft that you did, and because of your results as well, I just did my first year in 2001, and then even I got a tryout and nearly made it into the Red Bull Rookies immediately in 2002, just because uh, somebody like Robin Appleyard knew uh, uh, Eugene's elder brothers, Michael and John, they're fast, and they're riding uh, crap bikes, so that gave me uh, a step up just based on your results, and that helped the way for me and I was a little bit younger then so I definitely got opportunities I was lucky but the hard craft that you two did um, with yeah was it was nobody really that had any knowledge you really had to just learn yourselves I maybe didn't ask enough questions but that's something I think we were all guilty of we were quiet maybe didn't ask uh, people in the know yeah we, we, me and John we had some big battles in the 125 championship at home that champion of champions series and that we did learn a lot there racing uh, against the boys scrapping hard scrapping. scrappy racing like you had a fight for it but it was it was fun. I wouldn't change it for the world, other than it would you could have fast tracked a lot of it with some some direction, some somebody in there just steering that ship a little bit. But it was it was really good. Well, it was a family run team. Really, we were just all jumped in the van together, drove to the ferry down, crossed over to Stranraer, all the way down through England. So, and all of us in the back of that Avico van, it was some happy, really good years. Happy days. When you think about it. That. Come back to highlight my career. You forgot that in two thousand and one, I beat you to the Irish Championship. Oh, two thousand Super Kings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you missed the last round of the year again. You 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 had raised ever you had you'd rolled at six hundred for Team Ireland. Team Ireland. Team Ireland. That's right. You forgot about that bit. So you done a with Wolsey Coulter had a team. Well, that was a one. Martin Finnegan. Yeah. That was two thousand one, and you went to do that last round of that British six hundred stock championship, and that left it. That I cleansed the championship in the last round because you weren't we there. Went down, to, down to the last round, I forgot about that. So I, that was, you nearly forgot about that. It was a <laughs> champion over yeah, It's hard to cover everything, isn't it? It's mad the things that you do remember, but we were the accidental professionals. We managed to make a career out of it. When you just think about what we talked about, them kind of 10, 12 years, yeah, yeah you couldn't write a script like that. There, there's no path, uh, no right path, and you just got to make your way, and we enjoyed riding we bikes, enjoyed I think the that's fun, the key. The fun element was never, right. never ever taken out of it, so that is part of it too, and then, like that, when it becomes your job, then you, you're still enjoying it, so we were always happy doing it. 
but we had a lot of we had a lot of support from a lot of people, yes. a lot of good people. Yeah, but a lot of good gifts. A lot of um, generous people. Lots. Like even people that ended up in lifetime friends, like Stephen Thompson. Remember yes. whenever I was uh, my second year racing, he bundled my one two five into his van and went down to England. That was yes. in the winter. So that was my first experience of preseason trip testing. And felt help. It's a big help. It's I, all those which things. You signed a helmet to Stephen Levy. You didn't say this is a return for the helmet. He give you a knock hill. Is that right? Yeah. How generous is that? That I I'd wrecked my helmet. So then somebody else knowing there's a good chance of me crashing and wrecking that. And that probably cost him three hundred pounds to spread himself because he yeah. would have been paying for it was a lovely painted RI helmet. The generosity the of Irish to do that. And Stephen then as well brought me to two thousand and one to uh, like an MRA was it called or what was it called in not the not the MRO MRO championship. Myself and Philip headed off in the boat with Stephen. It was just like a beer weekend. I, I, I learned a lot because he bundled my bike into the van. First ever time Stephen did a length of a 600 riding a four-stroke. Yeah. And I finished second, I think, to Steve Patrick's and our Christian Elkin. But it upped my pace whenever I came back to the yeah. to the British when I was at a better position too. But that was, again, Stephen's generosity. People helping out and wanting to... Well, I think then the moral of the story is uh, don't be a bastard. <laughs> you have, have to, good you, friends, eh? Yeah, I think We're that's... still friends. And the, I think uh, hopefully whenever uh, I do finish racing as well, that I haven't burnt bridges, always yeah. try and keep relationships good. There's a lot of riders go through their career and just put themselves on like that pedestal. Yeah, yeah you gotta, you got to be a good person. And that's why I think we, we started from very little and a lot of people stepped in as supporters because they could see the, the passion there. And mm. uh, we were polite. Our parents raised as well, so... We managed to get careers out of it, and uh, I'm still trying to bluff my way. <laughs> uh, so we'll wrap it up there then, because that's uh, I think those those were the the glory years. There's plenty more to talk about after that, but I think whenever Michael sort of got his first pro contract, then uh, that was enough for me and John to kind of think, well, maybe we can do this too. And Cash we, in. Yeah, <laughs> we knew, we knew it was possible then. We something that we'd never even dreamed of. Managed to make a career out of it, so um, it's been good and. Uh, you're the two guys that have won championships in our family. Michael's won uh, British Super Sport Championship. John, as you said, 2001, uh, Irish uh, Super King is a champion as well. And I've uh, always been the bridesmaid. So. 2008, I grabbed another one. Oh, yeah, 2008 as well. John grabbed another championship. So I got to put things right and finally win a, a title. I'll keep working at it. So thanks for that. That's been a, a good chat. And um, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Thank you. Ciao.